Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 147, and today we'll be chatting with Maya Prohovnik, the head of operations at Anchor, a whole new way to experience audio. Maya studied psychology and linguistics before joining a startup called Aviary. There, she learned all about startups, taking on several roles, and helping the team grow from 8 to more than 30 before it was acquired by Adobe. Maya then ended up joining Betaworks in New York, where she helped organize the first official Hackers in Residence program. She also helped create and launch a product called Glitter while she was there. Maya then later introduced the duo of Michael and Nir, who were working on an app called Anchor to Betaworks. She then later joined the team as the app quickly took off. Maya joins us to share her story how she started her career in tech, what it was like working at Betaworks, how she joined Anchor, how she's approaching building a community around this new way of sharing audio, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hacktostart. Drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Maya. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited uh, to get the chance to catch up with you uh, here on the podcast and, uh, you know, to get to learn more about your story and what you're doing at Anchor. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm from kind of all over the place. Sorry, that's my dog shaking his collar. I, uh, I grew up in New York. Um, and then when I was about 10, I moved to California. And then I stayed there for college. So I went to UC Santa Cruz, and then kind of lived in the middle of the country for a while and then found my way back here. And for college, I double majored in psych and linguistics. And obviously don't use either of those things right now. <laughs> that's still crazy. Psych and linguistics, a double major. I can't imagine. Yeah, it was uh, the reason I decided to double major is because I had a little extra time just from my psych major. Um, and linguistics was a really big challenge for me because that was something I knew nothing about and something way more technical. And so it was kind of a nice balance of stuff that came more naturally to me and stuff that was more like learning a really interesting trade that I never use now. <laughs> yeah. And so where did the where did the passion for tech and entrepreneurship come along? I don't know. I, I think... I honestly like never really planned on being in tech as a career at all. I didn't really think that it was possible to be honest. Um, like I feel like when I got out of college, you know, I, I started in retail and all these random jobs and I sort of looked at people who worked in tech and it seemed so far removed from my own life. And I, I guess like in my circle of friends, like I was always the one who was into tech. Like I was the one of my friends who had like an early GeoCities blog or who got the first iPhone or whatever. And so I feel like I was always paying attention to that world, but never really thought about being in it. And I think when I I first moved back to New York, I was really early on Twitter. Um, and so I ended up meeting a bunch of people who were in the tech world. And that's kind of how I first got into startups. But it was really kind of an accident that I ended up here. Obviously, a happy accident and, and yes. a really cool story. I'm very happy about it. For sure. And so after all those retail jobs, jumping into the tech world, you were one of the first employees at Aviary, a company that <laughs> created, a, you know, a bunch of photo editing tools that was later acquired by Adobe. Can you tell us a bit more about like this company specifically and how you created the opportunity to join the team there? 
Yeah, so um, Aviary was great. I actually, when I first joined them there, um, I don't know for, for anyone listening, their original mission before they switched to mobile photo editing tools, they were kind of trying to be a Photoshop competitor on the web. So they had all these cool tools. So they had like a Photoshop competitor. They had a really easy way to make music. They had, um, I don't even remember, God, they had like sort of an illustrator competitor. So when I joined, it was this really community oriented, kind of, you know, kind of small user base that was interested in creating stuff. So it was more like an artist community. Um, and so one of the interesting things about Aviary was like, we went from catering to that user base to this big switch to capitalizing on the mobile world as it was taking off. So it, it was a really interesting place to work, like definitely cool to kind of see it grow. So in terms of how I started working there, so one of the co-founders of Aviary, this guy, Michael Galpert, was a friend of mine who I met, like I said, through Twitter in the kind of early days. And I remember I, I got the job at Aviary because I saw him tweet that Aviary was hiring. I, he didn't say what for, he was just like, hey, Aviary's hiring, let me know if you're interested. And I responded and I DM'd him and I was like, oh, I'm interested. And I totally didn't expect him to write back. And he was like, great, that would be awesome. Let's go get lunch. And so we got lunch. He made me an offer on the spot. And I, I sort of didn't even really know what my job was going to be there, but I didn't really care because at the time I was working at a luxury cigar shop, which was not really my jam. Um, and yeah, so it, it kind of came out of nowhere. And I think once I was there, it became very clear that a lot of the skills that I had translated to startups. So it was sort of an easy transition for me. But since then, obviously, I've, I've learned a ton. That was like a lot of years ago now. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, like you said, you obviously had a bunch of skills that, that helped and transitioned very nicely. And you ended up doing a little bit of everything, really helping the company grow from eight to 30 employees. So what were some of the biggest lessons that you kind of took from that first, you know, startup experience? Oh my God, so many. I think the biggest thing that I learned at Aviary was that startups are not about your own ego. That's something that my boss, the CEO there, had to kind of drill into us. So a lot of us there were really young, like fresh out of college. And it, for a lot of us, it was our first real job, let alone startup job. Um, and I think, you know, as we were growing, there's this, everyone talks about uh, growing pains in startups. And you sort of talk about it when you're a little company, like, oh, haha, growing pains, that'll suck. And then you get to it and you're like, oh, this is actually very painful for everyone. Um, and so I think one of the things that I learned was how to deal with as the company's changing and the team is growing and you're, you know, for us, our entire mission and our entire like product changed and going through that the first time around was really hard for me. And I think I and a lot of the other people who had been there for a while were really sensitive about it. And something that's been nice for me as I've worked with other startups is like, I've become so much more flexible. And I think that's something that if people can do that earlier in their careers, I think that they will have a, a, a much smoother career. So I think that's definitely one of the big things that I learned. And honestly, like the other thing that I learned is like startups are really hard. I, I think when you're looking at it from the outside, and maybe this is obvious to everyone who's listening, but like I sort of pictured like ping pong and beer and like young people hanging out in hoodies and all of those things were true. But I think those are like kind of the surface level things about being in a startup. And in reality, it's this really kind of gut-wrenching experience where every single day, like you don't really know what you're going to be doing that day. You don't know, like you have to adapt if something changes. You have to really think outside of the box because you're trying to invent something that no one's done before. So there isn't really a formula. Don't have any free time. So I think, you know, I think those are probably the two things that I learned from my first handful of years in, in startups at Aviary. Yeah, absolutely. Both both huge and, and critical lessons. I'm glad you brought them up. And so I guess from there, you ended up later joining the team at Betaworks. Can you yeah. tell us a bit more about, you know, what Betaworks is and, and what it was like joining the team there after your time at Aviary? Yeah, I can try. Betaworks is a really hard thing to describe. Are, are you familiar with Betaworks? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I, and, I and I love what you guys do in the model and stuff like that. It's a really fascinating place. It's really hard to define. And I kind of feel like 
it's a little bit, I think everybody describes it in a different way because everyone who works there or works with them has such a different experience. Like it depends what you're working on and who you work with and like how long you're there. It's, I don't know, it's sort of like a, a Willy Wonka type thing where it's like there's magical things happening and you don't really know what's coming next, but it's it's cool to be part of the ride. So I think, I mean, my time there was really interesting. I had sort of similar to Aviary, I had a lot of different jobs there. And I was there at a really interesting time when they were like, so one of the things that Betaworks does, I guess I should start with what they are. So they're a startup studio, um, which is a term that I believe they coined, which means that they build startups in whatever way that they can. So sometimes they create them in-house, sometimes they acquire them, sometimes they partner with other companies to create them. They also invest in companies. Um, and so their whole model is just kind of like figuring out what's happening in tech right now, or I should say like trying to figure out what's coming next because they try and get on top of trends before they happen. And so when I was there, we were in between a couple trends. So they had just finished up their round of fun social apps. So they made Giphy and Dots and Poncho. And we were moving those on. Those companies were growing and becoming their, their own. And while I was there, we were we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the next trend was. And for us, I think, you know, if you're following Betaworks now, you know that they're very into bots now. And so that's kind of the thing that we ended up settling on was this idea of conversational interfaces where there's this big challenge of, you know, people People are controlling things with their voice all of a sudden people are interacting with bots and how do you build products like kind of going from the ground up and forgetting everything that we knew about product development because you think about like design and UI and all this stuff and if you take that out of the equation you're left with a really different kind of product so a lot of the stuff when I was there was exploring kind of new startups that could fall into that category and it was really interesting and very different than my experience at aviary where it was like here's what we're doing the whole team's focused on this like everybody kind of is moving in the same direction generally Betaworks is like, I, I think the best word to describe it is dynamic, like something big happens and they're all over it and they somehow figure out how to get all their resources in, in one place so that they're working on something, but then the next week they're on to the next thing. So uh, it, it was really exciting. Um, I don't know if I'm doing it justice. It's again, it's really hard to explain, but that was sort of my experience with it. It's funny that you highlight that like everybody has a different definition because I've always got a different definition. But yeah. I mean, it just sounds like a cool place where like ideas become reality, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like Willy Wonka. Yeah. And I, it's funny because when I first joined there, I joined as the like I was doing community when I first got there. And my first couple weeks, I was like, OK, I was talking to the partners and I was like, we have to figure out how to tell people what Betaworks is. Like to me, that seemed like such a big problem that like we, we weren't consistent. Like people would ask what we were and everyone would give them a different answer. And after a couple of years there, I think I definitely kind of drank the Kool-Aid at this point and now when people ask I'm like oh you can't really define it like it's this you know and I think it actually one of the things that I realized about Betaworks is that it serves it really well not having an explicit definition because it's like sometimes they're really focused on investing sometimes they're really focused on building and I think that that fluidity is a big reason of why they've worked where other startup studios or incubators even haven't done so well. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, obviously you did a ton of stuff there, including one of the biggest projects I guess you had a chance to work on was that the Hacker in Residence program. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what it was like creating that and how that served as sort of the first of its kind uh, template? Yeah, again, I can try. <laughs> so Hackers and Residence, so when I did it, it was actually the second time around. The first time they did Hackers and Residence was when they made um, the, those round of companies. So Giphy, Dots, Poncho, um, and they had done, Hackers and Residence is an interesting thing because Betaworks builds things in batches. So when they built Dots and Giphy and all those companies, that was the first time they called it Hackers and Residence. But they had kind of done that a few years back when they made Bitly and TweetDeck and SocialFlow and all those companies. They just didn't call it anything official. And then when I did it, it was so it was technically kind of the third round of like the batch of, of companies, but it was our first time officially like going out and saying we're hiring for hackers and residents. So when they did the 
the one, sorry, this, this, this is confusing to explain, but when they did the like Giphy and Dots round, they sort of had those people in-house and they all had ideas and they were like, let's put these together and build them all at once. With us, we kind of started from scratch and we were like, we want to try to recreate what we did with that round of companies because, you know, those are still doing really well. So we kind of put the word out there. We actively hired people, which was interesting for Betaworks because usually they're much more opportunistic about hiring. So this was the first and kind of the only time that I've seen them go out and be like, we're hiring for these roles to build companies. It was really daunting, I would say. Like I, I was definitely following in some big footsteps. Um, the person who was running Hackers and Residence the time before me was Paul Murphy, who was one of the partners. And you know, I've, I've worked with him for a lot of years. He's a total genius. Um, he used to work, he was the head of or chief of staff at Microsoft, like really amazing guy. So I was sort of trying to follow in his footsteps. And then we also had to try to find Hackers and Residence who like had the skills and the ideas and the kind of, you know, hacker mentality that we had found in the batch before. So it was it was a really big project. Um, it was probably the second most stressful job that I've had. And it was, I mean, it was incredibly fun. It was so cool getting to just sit in a room with a bunch of smart people and be like, what are the problems we want to solve? What are the crazy ideas we have for how to solve them? And I think we definitely had kind of mixed results with, with this round of Hackers and Residents. Like some of the companies, so Dexter, for example, is one of the ones that we made and they just raised their first round. They're doing great. And I think what I would say is like not all the companies from our round of Hackers and Residents worked and are still around, but we learned so much from doing them. And I think that's the other amazing thing about Betaworks is that there's never really any talk of failure at Betaworks, which I think you you could think from the outside would be surprising because they launched so many things that they shut down. Like it, they're just kind of always spinning things up and shutting them down and moving them into other things. But inside Betaworks, like when something doesn't work, it's this culture of like, okay, we're going to stop wasting our time on this. We're going to move our resources towards something that is working. What have we learned from this and how can we apply that to the next thing so that it does better? So to me, like that was such a healthy way of looking at it. And I think really made it feel like the whole thing was a success and was worth everybody's time, even though we didn't have eight companies come and, you know, raise money immediately after doing it. But it was it was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And another one of the projects that you had a chance to uh, to co-create and sort of work on was a, an app called Glitter that I remember very yeah. fondly and had a lot of fun playing <laughs> with. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what Glitter was, uh, I guess, officially or, or from your perspective and like what motivated yeah. you to, to really create that? Yeah, so Glitter, I, I'm also very fond of Glitter. Um, glitter was one of the ideas that came out of Hackers in Residence. The hacker who initially made it was a guy named Christian Rocha, who's a very good friend of mine now. I, I met him through Hackers in Residence, good friend of mine now. And so the idea was basically when Christian joined Hackers in Residence, I love this story, we decided to hire him because he came in and we were like, okay, what are some things you want to build? Like, what are you passionate about? And everybody else had been like, I love big data or like, I want to solve this specific problem. Or, you know, they, they had like real company ideas. And Christian came in and was like, I've been thinking a lot about karaoke and how we can reinvent that for the American market. And I was like, oh my God, I love it. That's amazing. Like he, and he, he had no like real ideas yet, but he was like, I'm just really into kind of like fun and like silly stuff. And I just want to figure out how to like, you know, make American stuff feel more like Korean stuff. Cause I feel like it's more fun. And it was just like, we had such a great conversation and he was so ridiculous and funny. Um, and I think glitter was something that everyone at Betaworks was paying really close attention to while we were building it because it was so ridiculous. Like it, it everything in glitter came straight out of Christian's crazy and genius mind. And I think, that really showed in the product. So Glitter, the idea behind it was we, weirdly, I think this sort of came from the karaoke idea and then turned into this, which was try to figure out if we could make business cards fun, which I know is a thing a million people have done. And we were aware of that when we were working on that. Like we were very aware of all the people who've tried to fix business cards. But we, the way we tried to think of it was instead of just making business cards digital, which I don't think works because there's always going to be more friction in creating a digital business card and sharing it with people than just handing people a piece of paper. We tried to kind of reimagine 
imagine what a business card means. And we, we almost landed on something that felt more like calling cards where you could have multiple cards. So if you like met someone in a bar, you'd probably give them a different card than you would give someone who you met at like a conference or a meeting or something. So that was one thing is you could have these kind of different personas. And the other thing is we tried to approach it like they're not just information about you, they're kind of dynamic versions of who you are as a person at this moment in time. So we had like, so they were animated. You could add GIFs, obviously, like we were friends with Giphy, so that was a big a big part of it. You could add GIFs, you could change fonts and colors, you could um, like put links on there that worked, you could attach links to other cards on your cards, you could embed the cards on your website or share them on social. Um, one of the things we were working on that we didn't get around to is like adding songs to it. So you could be like, this is my favorite song right now and just have that on your card. Um, and it turned into this whole weird little community where like, you know, when we were beta testing it at BetaWorks, everybody had everybody else's cards. And it's like you would get a push notification when someone's updated. And it was this really fun, we, st we had started thinking about like kind of game like elements, because it started feeling like a game with your friends in it. So it was obviously it didn't work out. We're talking about it in the past tense. But um, it was this really interesting product to work on, because it had this really clearly defined use case, which was just like you meet someone you want to give them your, your information. But we were looking at it from such a different lens than I think anybody has ever tried to approach that problem before. And so I think that's part of what ultimately made it not work is ever nobody got it right like when we talked to investors they were like is it business cards or are you making websites or like what's happening here and when we talked to people there were so many potential use cases that it was really hard to sell like a thing that everybody needed which again I think you know is a, a common problem when you're launching a startup like you want to do everything and you have to kind of figure out what the one use case is that you're gonna sell to people so um, it was super fun to work on didn't end up making sense but I'm still like I'm so proud of it I you know we really poured our heart and soul into glitter and I think it, Christian and I both really Really loved kind of getting to be silly, you know, and kind of have no restrictions. And Betaworks, if anything, pushed us to be even sillier. So we, the whole glitter team, laughed hysterically every day. We loved what we were working on, um, and it was really fun and a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like you said, I know that uh, you guys were originally working on business cards, but, um, yeah. you know, which is an idea that a few other people have had, but the way you guys approached it or just the way that the app felt, I guess, even if you didn't really know what the clear use case was, it's just, I don't know, some, I just remember like playing with the app for the first time and being like, wow, this is so different and so crazy. I love how you can do and build your card. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll have to see if I can dig up some screenshots or something to add in oh, yeah. <laughs> somewhere we, so people can. The thing yeah. about was it just felt so good to use. And I think that's so rare in anything like websites or apps. Like it's so so hard to really capture the feeling of something. Um, and that's something that I, I mean, Christian gets full credit for that. Like he, anything he touches sort of comes to life. So I think that was a really huge part of it. Um, and I highly recommend if you're working on a startup, getting someone like that for your team, because I think it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, of another cool app, uh, Anchor. So today you're yeah. the head of operations and employee number one officially at Anchor. So can you tell us a bit more about Anchor if, if you know, folks haven't heard about it and what it was like joining the team there? Yeah, so I, I'm at Anchor now. It was founded by two guys who I actually worked with in Aviary back in the day. So uh, Mike and Nir, who weirdly, like I hired both of them at Aviary and then they hired me at Anchor. So it's this weird kind of like everything comes full circle deal. I ended up at Anchor because um, I got Betaworks to invest in Anchor. So in the very early days of Anchor, when they were first working at Adobe after Aviary was acquired, they were sort of starting to think about taking like an early kind of seed round. Um, and I knew that Betaworks was 
was looking for companies that were doing interesting stuff with audio because that kind of goes along with the conversational interface like theme that they were focused on. So I connected them, Anchor got their first investment from Betaworks, and then Mike and you actually were working out of the Betaworks space for the first few months um, when they were working on Anchor. So I got really sort of close to the project while they were doing it. And then they, when they launched, which was a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, um, they meant to launch quietly. And so they weren't really prepared for what happened, which was like, they got all this organic press, it took off, the servers were crashing, they, you know, and it was really just like the two of them, like it was a tiny team. And so they sort of panicked and asked Betaworks if they could borrow me for a little bit. And then I just kind of never came back to Betaworks. Um, and, you know, I, I hadn't been planning on leaving Betaworks, but I, I think Betaworks like sort of put their stamp of approval on it because technically Anchor is like in the Betaworks family and Betaworks is really good at kind of putting resources wherever they're best used. Um, and I think Anchor at the time just like really needed someone to just help them get organized and start hiring and, and grow the the company because the, the product clearly was, was working from day one. And in terms of what Anchor is, I should probably say, it's an audio app where we're trying to essentially reinvent radio. We're trying to make it really easy for anyone to make their own radio station and to find really great stuff to listen to. To us, what that means is audio obviously is this really powerful medium. Podcasts are having this huge resurgence. I'm sure everyone listening, I'm like on a podcast right now, like podcasts are a big deal. Um, I think some of the problems that exist in podcasts right now that are keeping it from really like reaching everybody in the world are um, on the creation side. It's, you know, as you know, Franco, like it's hard to make your own podcast. Um, it's a lot of work. Once you make one, it's hard to get discovered. Like it's hard to get listeners. There's, you don't have any information about who's listening, if they're coming back, what stuff they like, like you don't really get any data, um, which makes monetizing hard. So like on the creation side, that's one of the things that we're hoping to solve. On the listening side, we think that, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree, discovery is really hard for people. So like if you want to listen to a podcast, it's incredibly overwhelming and you're sort of at the mercy of the different podcast apps, like what they're featuring or what they're surfacing in terms of what your friends are listening to. Like it can be really hard to drill down and find stuff that you're interested in. I think another thing with podcasts is often we've kind of gotten into this rhythm with podcasts where every podcast feels like it's on NPR, where it's long form, people are very serious. You often hear a lot of like what sounds like the same voices. And so something that we're really trying hard to do is make it really easy for anyone to make a radio station because to us, that means that there will be a ton of variety. There will be a ton of voices. There's this really accessible feeling with Anchor where you can literally pick up your phone and just start talking and broadcast that to anybody. And we're working on the discovery side as well. So we're trying to make it easier for people to find things that they're interested in, to subscribe to those things, to like actually get notified when things are happening with the stuff that they care about. And I should also mention that Anchor is it built in a stories format. So it's built off of your station can be as long as you want, but it's made up of these shorter segments. Um, and the cool thing about that is that it's much easier to digest. So if you have five or 10 minutes while you're walking to the bus, for example, like you can just kind of listen to whatever you want to on that walk and not have to worry about not finishing something. Whereas like, I know for me, often when I'm listening to podcasts, I, if I don't finish it, I'm like stressed out for the rest of the day. Cause I'm like, I need to know what happens or I need to finish the, you know, the episode I was on. And one thing that we found from the stories format is that it tends to make people be a little bit more casual and fun. Um, which I think when you're, and I've done this before too, like I've made multiple podcasts, they haven't gone anywhere, but I've like gone through the motions of making a podcast. And as soon as you're recording, it's like you get your podcast voice on and you're like, you feel like you have to be an authority on stuff and you want to do so much editing. So it sounds perfect. And on Anchor, like one of the things that I love about a lot of the stations that I listen to on there is it just feels like listening to cool people that you want to hang out with. And so it feels a little bit more social and a little bit more like you're hearing real humanity as opposed to hearing something edited. And I definitely think there's room for both. Like I think we have no intention of like replacing podcasts or killing podcasts or anything like that. But I do think that there is something about 
about there's something to be said for having like high quality edited audio and then having audio that's a little bit more fun and accessible and easy to like interact with. Um, and so that's where we hope to kind of fit in. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, not, you know, I aspire, I guess, to producing really good audio, but uh, I, I don't yeah. think we're, we're anywhere near there. But uh, yeah, I love how I love how you can just pick up anchor and, you know, how friendly and accessible it feels. And like, if you have a, just a little, you know, a couple of minutes in the morning, either listen or create something and, uh, and see who joins in on the fun. So what's it been like, I guess, building a community and and also a product around this sort of reimagined take on on a familiar format, like the radio or, or sound, I guess? Yeah, it's been really intense. I I thought that the startup, I thought that glitter was hard. Anger is very hard because it's actually working. So there's, you know, there was like at glitter, there was always this kind of protective bubble around us because we were like, oh, at some point we'll really launch and then we'll like get serious about things. And with Anchor, it's like we really got thrown in the deep end immediately. So we've had a lot of eyes on us. And we've gotten a lot of, we get a lot of feedback, both critical and praise. And so it really feels like we're kind of developing this thing in public. And, you know, one of the things that I, love about Mike and Nir, the founders, is that they put their heart into this thing more than I've ever seen anybody. Like they believe in Anchor so much and they, like it's their life. It's, this is, and I, you know, both of them had babies in the last year, by the way. So it's like the fact that they can still be so intensely devoted to Anchor and think about it all the time and like have these really incredibly genius, innovative ideas constantly is, is sort of amazing to me. So I think, you know, the thing that's tough about Anchor is like we're moving so quickly because we have so many ideas and we have such, we have really, um, really aggressive goals that we're trying to hit. And, you know, we're, we're just moving all the time. And so I think that's really hard. But at the same time, like, this is absolutely the funnest job I've ever had. Like, I feel so motivated to work on it all the time, because I really believe in what we're doing, too. And I, I think that's true for everybody on the team. Like, we're a tiny team. It's a lot of hard work. It sort of never ends. But we're so excited about everything that we're working on. And every time we launch something, like, people are so excited about it. And it really feels like there is a hunger for this. Like, every time we release something, we get emails and tweets and calls and all this stuff from people who are like, I've always wanted to be able to do this with audio. So it feels really good to do. So I think super rewarding, um, incredibly hard work, really fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so you spoke a little bit about, you know, uh, launching new features and doing a bunch yeah. of stuff and getting like positive praise and a little bit of backlash. Uh, you guys just launched, you know, a major V2 sort of, uh, I don't know, probably about a month and a half, two months ago now, you know, it was completely different than the first version and, and super cool. So what was it like, I guess, building V2 and then getting it out there? Like, how did you guys approach acquiring more users to share this, you know, future of, of radio sort of app with? It was uh, it was intense switching switching to the so the new version is the the stories format that I mentioned um, and the station so in the first version of Anchor it was much more like a kind of Twitter for audio where it was like you had two minutes you had these we called them waves like these these audio segments that weren't related to each other so you could sort of be like here's a story here's a song here's like a question whatever and it just kind of went out like a tweet and lived on its own and people could have conversations around it with you know the reason that we kind of switched to version two is with version one we had a relatively small but incredibly dedicated user base, like people who came back every single day, we had an insane, um, you know, when you look at content apps, you always look at the ratio of people who are creating versus consuming, we had an insane ratio, like almost everyone who was in the app was actually creating as well, which was really cool. But I think we sort of hit a wall there, like we realized at some point that we wouldn't be able to, first of all, we weren't hitting the mission that we had, which is to reinvent radio, it really just kind of felt like audio Twitter. And I think the other thing is that we realized that the way that it was built was never going to be something that was appealing to everybody. And we really wanted to, to build 
build a product that like was for audio, what like Instagram did for photos or what Vine did for videos. Like we really wanted to kind of, you know, make a hub for audio. And so it was a, it was a really tough decision deciding to, to switch to V2. It took us a while to decide to do that um, because we were so like, we had such a strong emotional connection to the app and to the community that was already there. Um, and so I think that was a little bit tough. And we also, you know, like everything else we do, we had a really aggressive timeline. So I think when we, I think we worked on V2 for like three months, start to finish. So from the moment we decided to work on it to the moment we shipped it. So it was a very busy three months. When you're building a new product, there's like the original anchor just for comparison took, I think them, I think it took them a year and a half or two years to launch. So um, it was pretty insane doing it all in such a short timeline. But in terms of launching it, like we don't really yet do any kind of paid user acquisition or real marketing or anything like that. So when we launched it, it was really just kind of to our existing users and then to the people who came across it through press. And so I think like our original V1 launch, we were kind of shocked and thrilled by the positive feedback that we got and by the, you know, the people who just got it right away. So when we when we launched it, people were like, this is amazing. I've always wanted to have my own radio station or like, oh, I've been looking for a home for this new audio project I've been thinking about. Um, and so it's just kind of been taking taking off since there. Um, and so we're just trying to keep up with the demand and we have a ton of new things that are coming out. It's been really great. It's awesome. I'm going to have to stay tuned and check out all the cool stuff that you guys are shipping yeah. with that product. So changing topics just a little bit. Uh, I mean, besides Anchor, what are some of the what are some of the apps that you've used or downloaded or love? I should mention that I'm on Android right now. I go back and forth. I'm managing our Android product at Anchor, so I'm on Android right now. So like most of the cool new apps aren't on Android yet, but I will say, so the stuff that I tend to really enjoy are some of the classics. So like I'm still a power user of Foursquare and Swarm now. Um, so I use those probably every day and I feel like real joy every time I use them. I use, I mean, this is sort of a boring one and it's actually not a great app, but I really love Paprika. I use it for cooking. So I track like all my recipes and all my groceries and stuff in it and find it very useful. On iOS, like one of the apps that I miss now that I'm on Android is oh god what's it called now I have to look at my iPhone Narwhal for Reddit have you ever used that one yes that one's awesome that's actually the, that oh. one's on my home screen too <laughs> it's amazing so that and Weatherline which was the weather app that I used on iOS are the two things that I miss actively um, on Android on a daily basis like I'm just using the default Reddit and weather apps um, and they're not as good. The one other thing that I'll say that I'm, so I'm, I'm really into gaming. And one of the things that I'm really excited about right now is anything that Zach Gage makes. So I don't know if you follow his stuff, but he just released Type Shift. He just came out with. Have you played that yet? No, I haven't, uh, haven't heard of him or, or those games. So I'll have to definitely so check it out. All of his games are amazing. Look him up and everything that he's made, you're going to be like, oh, I love all of those games. So he, TypeShift, I'm like carrying my iPhone around so that I can play TypeShift. And then on Android, he released recently this game called Sage Solitaire, which is actually kind of more like poker than solitaire, but I'm like totally obsessed with that game. And so that's kind of my go-to. Like I just play that all the time when I'm bored. So his stuff, like I just kind of, Anytime he releases something, I just assume it's going to be my favorite game and it usually becomes my favorite one. I wish I had more exciting stuff, but I i mean, the other thing about working at a startup is I don't have a ton of free time. So I'm like kind of out of the loop on, on cool apps right now. Two dots. I still play every day. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot of great stuff on my phone right now. Ah, it's all good. It's a solid list. It's a solid list. So yeah. I guess maybe maybe shifting from, from apps to content, are there any like really cool stations that we should listen to on Anchor or blog posts or anything like that that you've, uh, you've consumed, I guess, that, that has uh, held your attention? I would love to tell you about some stations on Anchor. So I listen to a ton, obviously, because I'm very close to it. But some of my current favorites, the ones that I'm really excited about, one is called Cold Storm Radio, which just popped up like in the last week, but he updates it constantly. So he's doing, he's DJing music, which is mostly like hip hop and R&B, but it's like a pretty eclectic mix. And I love him because in between the songs, so he, he adds commentary and he's just like one of the funniest people I've ever heard. So like the other day he was just talking about his day and he was talking about this, like, I don't know, I think it was like a chili cheesecake 
quesadilla or something he had from Chili's and just the way he was describing it was hilarious. So I'm very into him. Like I really actively look forward to it. He's, he sort of reminds me of like an old school radio DJ. Like I just love his personality um, and he puts really awesome songs in there. So Cold Storm Radio, super good. Another one that I'm really enjoying. So The Outline has a station on Anchor um, and their stuff is always really good. So they do, they're interesting because they're actually doing pretty high quality produced audio, but they do it in these short segments for Anchor. So it feels like these little bite-sized audio stories and they put in sound effects and background music. Um, and it's always because it's the outline, really interesting stories. So very into that one. Another one of my favorites right now is called Let Me Google That. And it's this girl who just sort of, you know, she gets, she's a writer. She works for um, like a futurist magazine. And so she often is doing internet research. And so she falls down these kind of Wikipedia rabbit holes. And so every day she shares just like a random thing that she learned on the internet. But she's like, she's really smart and really like funny and nerdy. Um, and she'll just, I think the other day she was talking about like nematodes and she just got really into the details of like what a nematode is and where you can find them and like all these interesting fun facts about them. So I really like that because I just like learning random things. So I feel like I always learn like a fun fact from her. The other one I would say that I continue to love on a daily basis is one that's been around for a while, which is called Medicine Remixed. And it's these real life doctors. So one of them is a, a surgeon, I think, and one is a psychiatrist. And they, they're in their spare time. They're like rappers and DJs. And so their station is this really fascinating mix of like they share real information about medicine. So they'll be like, you know, here's how seizures happen or like how your heart works or all this stuff. But they'll mix it in with hip hop music and with like quotes from comedians and they'll they do their own remixes of stuff. So it's this like really fascinating thing. Every day it's amazing. They interview um, both people who work in medicine and then just other people who have like interesting stories to share about health or medicine or whatever. Um, so I'm very addicted to that one. Uh, that's probably one of my favorites right now. But in general, I mean, there's so much good stuff on Anchor. I'm, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but uh, I think the biggest problem I have with Anchor right now is just that I don't have enough time to listen to everything, but there's uh, there's a ton of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I recognize a lot of the names there that you that you throw like the outlines got some really good stuff. Cold Storm Radio, I just went and favorited their station because I want to check yeah. that out yeah. <laughs> right after. Very good. Cool. Um, so just maybe as a way to, to recap and sort of end the episode, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I think, I mean, the one thing I would say, like I, one of the things that I do in my free time is I often give advice to other like young women who are trying to get into startups. That's something that I'm really passionate about. And I think one thing that I wish people knew is that even if you're not an engineer, even if you're not technical, like there is so much for you to do in this world and you can be so valuable in startups. And so I would encourage like anyone, not just women, but like young people who are really enthusiastic about this world. Like, I, I mean, I have, I can go into like explicit tips, but like there are startups that need you. And I, you know, as someone who's on the hiring side, like there is a role for everyone. Like we will often be like, we need like a high school student to just like interview high school students all day. Like there's so much stuff that comes up in tech, especially at content companies for non-technical people. And I think the advice that I would give people is like, don't have too much pride to start at the bottom. Like I started at the very bottom. And the cool thing about startups is that you have a very real opportunity to grow really quickly at the company. So it's all about like, instead of showing up and being like, okay, like I think I know everything. I want to be a VC someday. I'm going to show up and think I'm going to be in charge right away. Like go there and prove your worth and learn. And like, if you're doing a good job and you can prove your value there, you will shoot up so fast in that company. Um, and so I just kind of encourage everybody to like have no ego, no attitude, show up, ask how you can help. It's about everybody working hard and doing whatever has to be done. Um, and I think that that can be really rewarding for people early in their careers. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, Maya, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. Yeah, sure thing. I, I hope I hope some of this was helpful. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. 
Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week. Thank you.